0: You're listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Here's your host, Ed
1: Yanka, Director of Communications and Public Policy. Thanks, Max, and welcome to a special episode of Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. We wanted to talk to you today about breaking news. Over the weekend, the ACLU's National Board of Directors, who is representatives from each and every state as part of it, took the unusual step of voting to oppose the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court of the United States. Our guest today to talk about this action is Colleen Kahn the executive director of the ACLU of Illinois. Colleen, welcome to Talking Liberties. Thank you so much. Before we talk about the Kavanaugh nomination, the action of the ACLU board, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about the ACLU and the Supreme Court. How active is the organization in terms of cases before the Supreme Court? What kinds of cases come up? What is the background in terms of that?
0: The ACLU is one of the premier litigants in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, We litigate in front of the court more than any other party except for the U.S. Department of Justice. The kinds of cases that we do run the scope of civil rights and civil liberties from voting rights, um, reproductive rights, women's rights, racial justice, surveillance, um, for example, the uh, whether cell phone records are um, – whether you need to have a warrant to access cell phone records. Just pretty much the gamut of of the the Bill of Rights, which, after all, is the ACLU's mission to defend and protect the, the Bill of Rights and the rights and liberties protected by the 13th, 14th, 15th, and 19th Amendments to the Constitution.
1: If there was a a case, if you wanted to or identify a couple of cases from the last few terms for people to say or to understand what an ACLU case before the Supreme Court looks like, what are the cases that stand out in your mind?
0: Some of the religious liberty cases, uh, for example, the case involving, um, really quite frankly, the conflict between religious liberty and reproductive rights, that being the Hobby Lobby uh, case, uh, which involved the contraceptive um, provision of the Affordable Care Act, and um, several litigants challenged that requirement as violative of their rights under both the First Amendment's Free Exercise Clause and the Religious Freedom and Restoration Act. That would be just a quintessential ACLU case. Another type of case would be any of the voting rights cases. Um, The ACLU has appeared again in front of the Supreme Court defending the right to vote, whether under the um, 15th Amendment, the 19th Amendment, or or the Voting Rights Act more than any litigant other than, again, the, the U.S. Department of Justice.
1: Okay. So with that background, the ACLU is steeped in the work of the Supreme Court. It does, it appears there, as you say, more regularly than anybody but the U.S. Justice Department. Um, I mentioned at the top of the show, it's rare for the ACLU to take a position on a nominee to the court. I wonder if you might talk a little bit about how rare it is and why, in fact, that's rare, given the involvement that the organization has with the court.
0: Yes, it's quite uh, rare, as you indicated. Uh, The Kavanaugh nomination is only the fourth time in nearly 100 years of the ACLU's history that we have opposed a nomination or a nominee to the Supreme Court. The other instances have been uh, Justice um, Alito. The ACLU opposed uh, his nomination on the basis of his um, opinions as a circuit court judge on religious liberty and on racial justice. The ACLU previously also opposed the nomination of Robert Bork, considering him really quite frankly outside the judicial mainstream on many of his writings from the scope of executive power to The scope of rights under the Bill of Rights, uh, including reproductive um, freedom and and other rights. And then we opposed the nomination of William Rehnquist to the court back in the Nixon years, um, but did not ultimately oppose his elevation to become chief justice.
1: So if four times in 100 years um, obviously is rare— and so when you think about that in that context, what's the process here? And I and I wonder if you could just describe how the ACLU, before we even get to the Kavanaugh instance, what is the process for kind of analyzing when a judge or a justice nominee is so outside the mainstream or presents a, a particular danger that you feel like, you know, the ACLU feels like it has to oppose?
0: It is a decision by the ACLU's national board. The national board is comprised of an elected representative from each of the ACLU state affiliates. And then there are several at-large members as well. And that body convenes to decide whether uh, it's going to first suspend a an ACLU internal policy that basically restates our nonpartisanship. The ACLU is strongly nonpartisan. We interact and work frequently with people on both sides of the aisle. And as a general rule, as, as we've indicated, the ACLU does not take positions on... Uh, nominees to the court or the lower federal courts, nor does it, um, by and large, um, take positions in support or opposition to cabinet nominations. So, the first step in the process is for the ACLU board to actually suspend that policy and to take a closer look at the nomination at hand, which in this case, obviously, was Brett Kavanaugh.
1: Okay. So, Let's get in. Then I guess to Judge Kavanaugh and and this, what in particular, this late in the nomination process, led the ACLU board to act? Was it the testimony of Doctor Blasey Ford? Was it the, was that the trigger for this, or or what precisely kind of led to this moment?
0: Uh, yes, the the fact that um, there are credible allegations of sexual assault that have been lodged against. Brett Kavanaugh was the matter on which the ACLU board felt um, compelled to act in this instance, because the board did not uh, actually act and vote to um, suspend the rules and oppose the nomination after an initial, um, you know, screening of um, Brett Kavanaugh's uh, qualifications.
1: And and so, what would you say? I mean, in in your view. What do these allegations sort of say about Judge Kavanaugh and about the reasons that he shouldn't be considered for the Supreme Court?
0: I think that the allegations are quite serious, and it is really important to the court's integrity and I think legitimacy with the American public that a justice actually be found to act in accordance with the rule of law and the allegations that Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted Dr. Ford are very, very serious and raise uh, for the ACLU a red flag in proceeding with um, Judge Kavanaugh's uh, nomination. And I think what it really goes down to is, quite frankly, the importance of the court as, a, as an institution, uh, and particularly... Uh, you want and we need quite frankly for our judges and justices on the court to be seen as fair arbiters of the matters before them
1: mm-hmm.
0: and to to really quite frankly you know practice what they preach i guess and if you're going to be the highest court of the land and if you're going to be the ones who decide, um, as the Constitution grants the court the authority to do, to decide what the law is, you need to follow the law. And if justices on the Supreme Court are seen as not following the law in their own personal life, it causes people really quite honestly to question the integrity of the court and the integrity of the court's role in defending and protecting um, the rule of law. It is particularly important, I think, um, with respect to the nature of these allegations and the fact that we're in the midst of, quite frankly, a national conversation about, you can only say sort of the epidemic of sexual assault and sexual harassment, Mm -hmm. by and large, by men in positions of power. And the court, again, um needs to be seen as a neutral arbiter of people's rights and for a, a justice to be confirmed under the cloud of these allegations would be a, a hallmark against
1: the court. So I want to come back to the court and and the impact on the court in just a moment. But given the last statement you just made I wonder about how personally the testimony of Dr. Ford the event we witnessed with the young women talking to Senator Flake in the elevator, um, what impact did that have on women across the country just in terms of the idea of women's equality and their ability to speak out on these issues?
0: It is a compelling and powerful moment in our nation's history uh, where in the face of decade after decade of the majority of sexual assaults, going unreported uh, for women to actually stand up and say, these are really, really important allegations, and we're not going to continue to be quiet in the face of having our bodily integrity, our rights disrespected. And again, one of the other statistics that just is haunting in this area is that most sexual assaults are performed by by acquaintances, by people who know the woman and, in some cases, the man who was assaulted. And it's a violation not only of the law, but obviously of the kind of trust that is so important in
1: human relationships. Um, I read a statistic just this morning, and I didn't share this with you beforehand, but I, I read a statistic this morning that suggested when it comes to the integrity and confidence in the Supreme Court, that there is already a gender gap of something like 17 points. Women have a 17% lower gap in terms of confidence in the Supreme Court than men do across the United States. Do you think that would simply be driven wider by the seating of Brett Kavanaugh? And is that a problem that we should be concerned about, not just as the ACLU, but as a nation?
0: The answer is yes and yes. Uh, I saw that same article, and there's already been a widening of the gap just in the weeks since the Kavanaugh allegations have been made public uh, where fewer women than men um, are confident in the integrity of the court as an institution. And that does reflect women's lived experiences that, you know, many, many, many women, and it's, again, a shockingly high number, more than a quarter of of women in this country are survivors of some kind of sexual assault or sexual harassment. And when women have had and their friends have had, their family members have had these kinds of experiences and women know and believe um, their own experiences, to see men elevated to the court with these kinds of serious allegations really does cause an erosion or lead to an erosion of respect for that as an institution. And yes, it is a matter that we as the ACLU, we as litigants in front of the court, we as lawyers, we as a society have to be very concerned about because so much of what allows a society to function are sort of consensus about the norms. And if that sounds fuzzy, it's because it is fuzzy. The Constitution, wonderful as it is, the, you know, volumes of laws, specific as they are, are really important. But what really allows society to function are the fact that we all pretty much adhere to some basic norms. And respect for the rule of law is one of those norms. People I internalize the notion that we all have to mostly play by the rules and the same rules in order for society to function. If we don't, it'll be anarchy and chaos, and that's not good for anybody. It's not good for business. It's not good for the more vulnerable among us, whether it's children, whether it's older people, whether it's uh, people who aren't, um, you know, fill in the blank, who who are just more vulnerable— Uh, And ultimately, it's not good for any of us. And so for the nation's top court to have justices on the court who are under this cloud of allegations that they did not abide by the law is quite serious.
1: As we close this out, a couple of questions. Do you anticipate that the two U.S. senators from Illinois will oppose Judge Kavanaugh's nomination if it comes to the floor?
0: I believe they will.
1: And we should say that for those who are from out of the state of Illinois and they're listening to this, if they want to reach out to their senators, the ACLU has set up a special number at 1-844-334-2258 to be connected to their senator's office to express opposition. Is that something you think people should still continue to do?
0: Yes. Yes. It is always good to let our elected representatives know what your thoughts are on an issue. And it's, again, a way of getting public endorsement for those norms, that no person is above the law.
1: So, last question on this particular topic. Do you anticipate that Judge Kavanaugh will or won't be seated on the Supreme Court?
0: Your guess is as good as mine.
1: So— there's been lots of issues talked about in this nomination. Let's let's broaden this discussion out just a tad. And some of them are about kind of these notions of norms and the rule of law that you've been talking about a little bit here. And you gave a speech recently at the City Club of Chicago in which you talked about these. And I wonder if you'd just talk for a moment about what you see as sort of the real threats, if you will, to the rule of law that we're facing now in the era of Trump.
0: Well, the Trump administration's disregard for the rule of law is perhaps the most serious threat to our democracy. And we see it on a range of issues, whether it's executive orders that are drafted without regard and sometimes in direct contravention of statutory law or statutory regulations. The efforts to do an end run against the procedures of the Administrative Procedure Act, which call for an orderly publishing of draft regulations or an extended period of public comment before they go into effect, whether it is just calling into question, as Trump did during the campaign and then has continued to do, the bias of judges on the basis of their racial background, their parents' immigration status, or quite frankly, just because the judges ruled against President Trump. All of those types of actions really call into question the president's respect for the rule of law. And again, we're in a situation similar to what we are talking about earlier with the Supreme Court. If the president of the United States, who takes an oath to not only uphold and defend the Constitution, but also to assure that the laws of the country are faithfully executed, if the president takes a position that he's not going to execute the laws that he personally disagrees with, like he has said with respect to the Affordable Care Act, what do we expect ordinary Americans to do? You know, and and again, I'm just going to say, you know, the rule of law is not something like a a menu at a restaurant. You don't just sort of get to pick which laws you agree with and abide
1: by those and basically disavow the rest of them. That's not how the system works. And to go back to our earlier conversation, doesn't that make the integrity of the court, public confidence in the court, that much more important? Absolutely it does.
0: And we've really seen that with respect to how, at least heretofore in the the past 20 months, the courts have been seen by citizens alike as being the bulwark of our constitutional and legal order. And that's really, really important. And I would add that one other thing that is eroding public confidence in institutions is the fact that the Trump administration again basically not only personally attacks many of the judges who have ruled against them but really makes it personal and partisan and again that is destructive of any notions of a of a rule of law that is um decided by and enforced by neutral arbiters
1: does that make this current debate over the future of the Supreme Court, who sits on it. Again, I'm sort of to reiterate, does it make that much more important conversation? Yes. And then lastly, is the rule of law holding?
0: It has thus far, and that is a testament to the many fine men and women nominated by presidents of both political parties who sit on the federal bench. It's a testament to the to the fine lawyering, including a lot of the lawyering by the ACLU, which has filed um, more than almost 200 lawsuits against the Trump administration, and it's also a testament, quite frankly, to the American public. And this is something that is really important to emphasize, which is one pundit, you know, more than a century ago, opined that the Supreme Court, just like the rest of us, reads election returns. And at the end of the day, it's really important for people of this country to make their view known or views known about the importance of the rule of law. Because at the end of the day, uh, this is a democracy. And just to cite one very recent example, which is the Trump administration's family separation policy, the ACLU was victorious in the court and really prevailed in getting the judges to recognize that separating children from their parents at the borders and then putting those children in cages violated U.S. law. But what really caused the Trump administration to pull back from its family separation policy was the huge public outcry that we are better than this, that that Americans do not put children in cages and they do not— you know, follow policies of wanton cruelty. And so at the end of the day, it's important to understand and to emphasize that democracy is not a spectator sport and that uh, we defend our democracy not just by going to court, not just by supporting organizations like the ACLU, but by getting out there and voicing our view that it's important that no person, including the President of the United States, including a nominee to the Supreme Court, can consider themselves above the rule of
1: law. Colleen, thank you very, very much for joining us today.
0: My pleasure, Ed.
1: If you are interested in making your voice heard, you can join the ACLU Voter Program for this year by going to org slash voter. Again, if you're interested in reaching out directly to your member of the United States Senate or your members of the United States Senate and sharing with them your opposition to Brett Kavanaugh, you can dial 1-844-334-2258 and you'll be connected to their offices. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Talking Liberties is produced by Max Bever. Executive Producer, Chris Olson. It's mixed today by Sean Sparboree. Subscribe to this podcast and rate us. You can visit our website at aclu-il.org and you can contact us directly at talkingliberties at aclu-il.org. Until next time, this is Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. See you soon.